0: So, before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, one is that uh, we, we do need always help in the snacks area. Um, I think we've got good sign-ups. Sometimes it just happens we're uh, last-minute, like today. The other thing is, uh, if anyone's interested in helping uh, out in the communion area, helping bring communion and set up communion, the Tardos do it like every week. And, uh, and we need to give them a break. So <laughs> if anyone else is interested, uh, just doing that on rotation, just helping out the community area. We try to take communion here each week. Uh, for us, this is something that is kind of sacred that we center the whole service around. So um, with that, we always need help in that area. So if you're interested, let me know, and we'll get you on schedule. If you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, looking specifically at the Beatitudes, and kind of... Reading through the Beatitudes uh, through the lens of what does it mean for our most significant relationships, our family, our close friends, uh, people that we do life with. And I want to look at verse five, uh, or chapter five, and uh, look at verses eight and nine today. And eight and nine read as this Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I'll read it one more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Last few weeks we've been looking at these Beatitudes. It's this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' most famous. Teaching, his most famous preaching. We talked about how the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the essence of everything that Jesus is Jesus teaches. It's the habitual and continuous teaching. And so if we want to know what Jesus is like, what his kingdom is is about, what it means to be his follower, this is a passage that we want to become familiar with. And what we find is that the ways of the kingdom, the ways of Jesus are very countercultural. And when we come to these passages, we read them, and we, even in our own culture, we find that this seems like a countercultural way to live. But I think that's true of any culture, because the way of Jesus is different than the way of the world. And so we wrestle with these passages, and today I want to look at these two verses and just kind of unpack them. And uh, I want to look at this idea of the pure in heart, for they will see God, and then the peacemakers— for they will be called the sons of God. So there's kind of four phrases. The pure in heart, they will see God. And the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So pure in heart. Ah, pure, uh, in, this, in this language, has a couple different meanings. I mean, Probably the most obvious meaning is something that's been cleaned or cleansed. This might be like clothing or a garment that was dirty that was washed. A very simple definition of pure is something that's been made clean. Another definition that was used was something that was stripped away of unnecessary elements. It helps the purest form, the essence of something. Uh, We see this in like Greek philosophy, when things are stripped away and you have the purest form. Uh, I think of it as maybe like a banana. Like if you want to eat a banana, you don't eat the whole peel, but you peel peel back something so that you have uh, the purest form of the thing that you want to eat. It could be used of fruit, it could be used of vegetables or corn. Uh, but this, this metaphor is also used with, with different things in life. Like for, for the military, militaries in this time, uh, what they would have is a bunch of disgruntled people uh, that they wouldn't want to go to battle with. And so they would, they would purify the fighting force before they would go out. Those that they didn't think they could trust or they think would bail at the last minute. They said, we could fight better without you. So we're stripping ourselves away from you. So we have a pure form of, of an army to take into battle. Uh, this idea of purity we see, I think, today in sports, like we, we might, you, you might have a team that you're following that you know they have a couple players that are just discontent on the team. They're, they're kind of troublemakers. And then the Phoenix Suns trade one of them and they start playing <laughs> well, right? Like we, They become a more pure team. There, there, there's, so there's an idea of clean, being cleansed, but there's also this idea of pure of pulling away unnecessary things so that you have the essence of what that thing is supposed to be about. Uh, Our daughter, Sophia, is 10 years old and fourth grade now, Uh, but I remember when she went into kindergarten, uh, she's exposed to the world, and you think kindergarten, that's like an innocent place, like there's not too many things that she can pick up on, and, you know, my my wife and I were were private school kids, you know, so we're kind of like these little spoiled brats, and we're like, we're going to send our, our, our daughter to a public school and, uh, you know, have her be exposed to things. And, you know, that's probably not going to be that bad. And she comes home one day from kindergarten, and she's like talking. like We can hear her talking in the back. And we find out that she's learned three words. And she calls them the S word, the H word, and the F word. So Marcy and I look at each other thinking, oh, my goodness, it's too early what did we do? There's no way she could be exposed to something like this right now. Like, freaking out. And Marcy kind of prides and says, what, what are those words? What, what is the S word, the H word, and the F word? And Sophia said, uh, the S word's stupid, uh, the H word's hate, and the F word is fat. And our thought was, like, this whole, like, pressure release. Like, yeah, those are terrible words. Don't ever say them. And it was like, oh, goodness, she is still pure and innocent. Like, hasn't, like... Uh, but, but the purity that they're, they're talking about here, it's more than just, it's this innocence, but it's not being naive. It's innocent, but not naive. There's, there's something else going on here, as Jesus says, the pure in heart. There's a cleanliness aspect to it. There's a peeling back, the things that don't need to be there. But there's, there's something deeper going on here, too, when he talks about those who are pure in heart. And when we read this beatitude, what we find is that it's actually this echo of, of one of the Psalms. Psalm 24. Psalm 24 says this, starting in verse 3. It says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God, of Jacob. What we find is almost an echo here of the Psalms. As Jesus is talking about, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Two images kind of emerge. Clean hands and a pure heart. Right, there's like that old hymn that, that talks about this, but clean hands. And what I would say is like, that's, that's kind of that innocent, you're innocent, of doing wrong, but clean hands and a pure heart. There's this innocent of actions, but the pure heart What's talking about here is innocent of motives. Not only are your actions pure, but your motives are pure as well. Pure hearts, clean hands. This is something I think it's hard, especially for someone like me who's kind of like ultra-religious, like, I can get the actions right, but the pure motives is more challenging, right? I can, I, I can, I can be generous because I know other people will see that and think, think better of me, right? I can, I can be, uh, try to be holy because I have this image that I'm trying to uphold. There's different ways that I do good things, but my motives aren't necessarily pure. But what this is talking about is being good for goodness Sake, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Could say, blessed are those whose motives are pure. Psalm 24 goes on to say, clean hands, pure heart, such a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And here we have Jesus saying, the pure in heart will see Psalm says seek, but here it says they will see God. What does that mean? To see? What does it mean to see God? Because in different ways we all see God, and in different ways none of us see God. Like, what is Jesus talking about here? Those that see. So I kind of reflected on this, but I think what's 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 going on and from some of the things I've studied is, is to see God in this way is like this. Last night we had trunk or treat, we were outside. It was a clear night, a beautiful night. And I remember as we were cleaning up, I could look up at the sky and actually see stars here in Phoenix. Don't always get to see stars. If you go camping, you see a ton of stars. But with our light pollution, you don't see many. But I remember seeing stars. And I'm an ordinary person. When I look up at the sky and see stars, I see these, bless you, you. (laughs) pinpoints of light in the sky. I notice them, don't think too much of them. I see them, but it doesn't mean much to me. But an astronomer would look up into the sky, and he would see, he or she would see constellations, be able to call stars by name, planets by name, know their movements. He would have eyes to see in ways that just an ordinary person wouldn't be able to. Or you think about, throughout history, someone who's navigating a ship, a captain, a pilot, would look up into the, star, to the stars, and the stars would guide their journey. For them, they would know where, where they are, where they're headed by the stars. They would have eyes to see the stars in a way that an ordinary person like me wouldn't be able to. They would have eyes to see. Or you think about uh, my father-in-law as uh, an artist, uh, went to Cambridge School of the Arts or something like that. I don't know. Smart guy, loves to paint. If I went to like a museum and saw ancient pieces of art, for me, I would look at them and just think like, nice, I don't get it. But he would look at it and he would see medieval art and Renaissance and the Impressionists and the Romantics. He would see art and he would see things that might just look very ordinary to my eyes, but he could tell if it was a masterpiece. He would pick up on themes that I wouldn't see. He would have eyes to see. And I think this is the kind of seeing God that is being talked about here. Not as ordinary people, but seeing with a keen insight to what God is up to in this world. And it talks about the pure in heart may see God. We think about why we're called to purity. You know, I don't think it's to keep God happy. I don't think God if we're, if we're pure, it'll, it'll make God love us more. What we, what we know is that God loves us exactly as we are. Throughout scripture, it, it talks about this God that's pursuing us in the midst of our defilement of everything. We're not pure people, yet God pursues us out of love. But there's this, this calling to a pure heart. And I believe it's because as we we have pure intentions, as we're good for goodness sake, it's because our God is good. Our God is pure. Our God is holy. As we align our hearts to his, we have keen insight to the ways of which God is at work in this world. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think that's what's going on here. In the midst of us, Checking our motives, in the midst of us, uh, becoming holy, we align our hearts and minds with the heart and mind of God. Blessed are those who have pure motives, because they see God in everyday life. And we we've seen people, we've experienced people who are like this. It doesn't matter the circumstance or the situation. They they. They experience God. They, they see how God is at work in the midst of any circumstances. There's always this redemptive edge to it. And it's like life giving when you're around them. Then the opposite is true of some people. Like some people, uh, it's like their, their minds are unpure and they can turn anything into a dirty joke or an innuendo. It sounds like they're enlightened, but really what it is is just cynicism. I want to be the kind of people who are pure of heart, that our motives are life-giving to others, that we're so full of God's presence, that we're in tune with what God is doing in this world, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. Next beatitude is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A lot of uh, discussion about which what this one means. But just kind of breaking down, the word peace in Greek, it's this word, Irene. in Hebrew it's shalom. We talk about shalom a lot, this idea of peace. And for, for the Hebrews, this idea of shalom, peace, wasn't just the absence of conflict. It wasn't the evacuation of tension. It was actually filling life with harmony and joy in the life of God. It wasn't just sweeping things under the rug or trying to make peace. It was it was entering into circumstances to help human flourishing. And sometimes when we think, think when we think about peace, we think of Just let's sweep something under the rug. Let's just be kind. Let's just be nice. And part of it is that, but this idea of peace for the Hebrews isn't just this this passive action. It was engaging with the life of heaven in any circumstance, in any relationship, in any situation to bring about shalom, the life that God desires. And this idea of makers implies that. It doesn't say peace lovers even peacekeepers, but peacemakers. When we keep peace, we don't just hope for the absence of conflict. We pursue the of heaven in any circumstance. To be a peacemaker is to be active. We know that this is what Jesus is like, where it tells us that he made peace with us, he made peace by his bloodshed On the cross. He made peace by his actions. Blessed are the peacemakers. The people who are about bringing about shalom into every situation. John Orperg is a pastor I like to listen to, he's wrote a lot of books, but he says that he enters into every situation with the question Does this edify? Does this edify my actions, my words? Is it going to edify? Is it life-giving? Does it bring about peace? Does it make shalom? I think that's a good filter to look at. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? It means to bring about God's shalom, the activity of God in this world, that we're intentional about that in all of our relationships and all of our activities in our community or these peacemakers. And it says they'll be called the children of God, or the sons of God, that's what the NIV says. The sons of God. It's a, a phrase that you also hear and you think, well, aren't we all God's children? Aren't we all sons and daughters of God? Like, what, why are the peacemakers the ones that will be called this? We find again in Hebrew, this is a, this is a phrase that's used often. Son of dot, dot, dot. The Hebrew language, they don't, they're not big on adjectives, which is probably great like more pure language. You don't use adjectives to describe everything. So when they want to describe something, they don't say, like, this is a peaceful person. What they would say is that this is a son of peace. I think Barnabas uh, was called the son of, 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 uh, of comfort. They didn't say that he was a comfortable man. He was the son of comfort. We have Peter and his brothers are called the sons of thunder. You can only imagine what they're describing there. This idea that you'll be called the sons of God. What it means is that it's this adjective describing that those who are peacemakers in this world are are they're, they're, they're godlike in their activity. They're like-minded to what God is doing. The sons of God, revealing what God is like in this world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be godlike. Blessed are those who bring about shalom, who edify. Because they will be Godlike in this world. This idea of peacemaking and Godlikeness is found throughout the New Testament letters that were written to the early church. I mean, Paul is full of uh, this kind of language in Romans 15:33. He's usually closing his letters with this language, where he says, "The God of peace be with you. The God of peace be with all of you, Amen." Second Corinthians 13:11. Aim to be perfect. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Hebrews thirteen twenty. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. The activity that we do as peacemakers, we should be uh, doing everything for other people's good. Bringing about shalom. Peacemakers. Peacemakers don't just empty situations of conflict. They fill situations with the life of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be like God. Sons of God. Abraham Lincoln uh, says this, and I, I thought this quote was great. I can't imagine what the English accents would be of the day during the Civil War. It was an English accent, but he would say it much more um, dignified than I would say it. But he says, Die when I may. I would like to, it to be said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower where I thought a flower would grow. Die where I may. Die when I may, I'd like it to be said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower or I thought a flower would grow. And I think that's what peacemaking is all about. It's not about just the absence of something. It's about planting something that's beautiful. Pulling up a weed but planting a flower. And I think this is the work that those who are, are called sons of God are about in their day-to-day activity uprooting weeds, planting flowers. This beatitude, this is a beatitude of those who have lifted the world a little further on. Those who follow Jesus in the way of Jesus are good news to a community. And I think this is important because I think that we live in a world of strife, we live in a world of hypertension, of outrage, of anger, we live in a world of, uh, of bitterness. We're human. I think what this world needs are people, Jesus-loving people, pure of heart, who bring about shalom into the tension. There's a, a political cartoonist that I read. I don't even ag- agree with them all the time. Uh, but he, he wrote something a while back that has just stuck in my mind. And he's talking about this idea of like, he would write you know, these different cartoons politically for whoever was president. Um, and it's just like, he's just feeding this outrage. I mean, this is a good industry to be in, right? Like, you, you write, you're going to get tons of hits. Everyone's going to be reading it. Everyone's got an opinion about it. And he, and he says this. I thought this was so interesting. It says, a couple years ago, while reflecting, I learned something kind of embarrassing, anger Feels good. And once I realized I enjoyed anger, I noticed how much of time I spent experiencing it. It says if you're anything like me, you spend about 87% of your mental life winning imaginary arguments that you never actually are that are never actually going to take place. I kind of agree with that. Yep. Marcy would know that. I do that all the time. Seems like the most, uh, most <laughs> The fragments of conversations you overhear in public consist of rehearsals for or reenactments of just such speeches, shrill litanies of injury and injustice, affronts to common sense and basic human decency, too grotesque to be born. You don't even have to bother eavesdropping. Just listen for that high whining tone of incredulous aggrievement. It sounds like we're all telling ourselves the same story over and over, how they tried to crush my spirit, but I showed them. Outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good, but over time devour us from the inside out. Let me read that again. Outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good, but over time devour us from the inside out. And it's even more insidious than most vices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as a disagreeable but fundamentally healthy and voluntary reaction to negative stimuli thrust upon us by the world we live in, like pain or nausea, rather than admitting that it's a shameful kick that we eagerly indulge in again and again. And as all the vices, vast and lucrative industries are ready to supply the necessary material, it sometimes seems as if most of the news consists of outrage porn, selected specifically to pander to the impulses to judge and punish and get us all riled up with righteous indignation. And here's something that I've shared before, is that I think that we feed off being right, and we feed off being wronged. And we live in this culture of outrage. And some of that comes from our deep convictions, and some of that comes because there's something that's just released in us, and it feels good to be angry. This is why I play sports, right? You should not see me on the basketball court. I take it out on the ref, Curtis knows that. I fouled out in seven minutes the other night. It's true, seven minutes, I was so mad. We feed off being right and we feed off being wronged. This culture of outrage. And I think what our culture needs, I think what our neighborhoods need, I think what our workplace needs, our peace, Loving Christians that bring shalom, not just to empty conflict, but to bring about the life of heaven into every situation. Those who have pure motives that edify those who bring about shalom to relationships. I think that is what Jesus is calling in the Beatitudes, to have the mind of Christ, pure of motive, peacemaking people. And I think that if we could kind of sum up, these are my words, sum up the Beatitudes in a single line, this is what I would say, that Jesus is calling God-like people who see God in people. Jesus is calling God-like people who see God in people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Today, as Tim comes up, we're going to spend some time reflecting. We're going to move to communion. But I want to think about these two ideas of purity, having pure motives, pure of heart, and peacemaking. Those who bring about shalom, those who bring about redemption to situations of conflict. What does it mean to be pure of heart? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? As we reflect on that, when you're ready, uh, feel free to move to communion. We take communion each week. For us, communion is this, uh, this reminder that God loves us, that in the midst of our dirt, in the midst of us not being pure, God loves us. It has made a way for us to experience life full and eternal. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross. And we take juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Through this breaking open of God's body and the pouring out of his blood, we receive salvation and life. But then we're inspired to be a particular people here on earth, pure in heart, peacemaking. So spend some time reflecting. And when you're ready to move to communion, feel free to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, for your word. Lord, for these beatitudes, these countercultural statements. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength to live the calling, the way of the kingdom, that we would be good news to our neighbors, that we would be good news to our family, we would be good news to our community. Lord, I, I just pray that you would reveal things in our life that are unpure, the things that are, are the wrong motives. Lord, help us not to be the center of trouble in our community, but the center of life, of shalom. Meet us now, Lord. Meet us in our heart. Meet us in our soul. And empower us with your spirit. We love you and your sons and we pray. Amen.